0: Good morning. Today is the day. Uh, It is the 19th day of December 2019, and it is a day the Lord has made. As you walk your faith out into the world today, I want you to be mindful of that. Today is the day the Lord has made. Today is a day that many will seek to co-opt for their own partisan political ends uh, upon the announcement of the impeachment by the House of Representatives um, of the President of the United States. This is a solemn day. Uh, But we have been in this season of Advent working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and today we are in Luke chapter 19. And I want to begin there because it's essential to be mindful of the fact that as Christians we need to be in the Word of God before we seek to walk out into the world that God so loves. And so today in Luke chapter 19— we have uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus. One of uh, one of the songs of scripture, or one of the stories of scripture, that my guess is you sing uh, when you think of Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Um, and so that is a good story to be thinking about today. What does it look like when salvation comes to your house? That's uh, that is really what that in total encounter is about. What does it look like for salvation to come to your house? Then we have um, a couple of parables, and we end the chapter um, with Jesus uh, entering the temple courts, beginning to drive out those who were selling there. He says, as it is written, my house will be a house of prayer. You have made it a den of robbers. And every day he was teaching at the temple. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his every word. Let us hang today on the every word of Christ and let those of us who worship Christ in spirit and in truth walk today in uh, in the majestic silence of the way he approached false accusation, of the way he approached um, trials where he did not get to, you know, bring bring what uh, the world would view as a defense. And that is, of course, my segue into a conversation about the impeachment of the president of the United States. Everyone anticipated exactly what happened last night, and you and I and everyone else, including the president, had ample time—ample time—to seek wise spiritual counsel and prepare ourselves for how we were going to respond, both in private and in public, to the to the vote of the House of Impeachment. Everyone knew that what happened last night was going to happen, which is why uh, the president's response and reaction and his political attacks last night. Uh, during a campaign rally in Michigan uh, are so troubling to me. At one particular point, the president chose to attack a member of Congress, uh, referencing her deceased husband uh, and suggesting that her husband is in hell. Um, the question of heaven or hell, not answered by which side of the uh, political, partisan, American, uh, current conversations of the day you stand on. That That's not the question of heaven or hell. Heaven or hell, answered with whether or not you stand with Jesus. Nothing else, no one else, totally grossly inappropriate um, to use as an attack on a widow who voted against you. Um, We talked just yesterday with Pastor Daryl Crouch about tending to the grieving during Christmas. Let me just say this. You can look to your right and to your left and probably in the mirror today and find a grieving person. To, um, to weaponize whatever is happening politically in our culture and to suggest that their greatest fear, their greatest fear, which is that they will never see their beloved again and that their beloved is, uh, is in hell, it, it's just grossly inappropriate. This is not something a Christian does. And so say that to yourself, remind yourself of that, um, and, uh, and today, today, let us be people who are tending to those who are grieving, um, not wounding them. So today is a day for which both the president and his defenders and every one of us has had ample time to prepare how we are going to respond. So what will you say today? What will you say today about the matter of impeachment? And how will you say it? And how will you treat those who disagree with you no matter which side of this conversation you find yourself on? Uh, The president was not the only person who responded poorly. Representative Barry Loudermilk of Georgia said this. When Jesus was falsely accused of treason, Pontius Pilate gave Jesus the opportunity to face his accusers. During that sham trial, Pontius Pilate uh, afforded more rights to Jesus than Democrats have afforded this president in this process. Um, <clears throat> the attempt to appropriate, this is me talking now, the attempt to appropriate the trials of Christ or the suggestion that any president of the United States is enduring anything like unto what Christ endured or that impeachment in the United States of America under our constitutional government is in any way like the Roman process, uh, the flogging, the crucifixion, the trial before the Sanhedrin. uh, All of that reveals a gross misunderstanding of what happened to Jesus, why it happened, and the very sovereignty of God in the redemption narrative of human history. So be careful today. Read the texts of Scripture that include uh, the trials of Jesus, um, and don't be confused about what happened to him, how it happened, why it happened, and the sovereignty of God uh, in play. So what will you say today, and how will you say it? Uh, I will return to this subject matter a little later, but right now we've got Ben Johnson waiting in the wings from the Acton Institute, and we'll be right back. This is my right. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I am talking with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. Um, the Freedom Song is actually a really great segue into a conversation about free speech and freedom and what saves us. Ben, welcome back.
1: Good morning, Carmen.
0: Good morning. It's a solemn day.
1: Uh, so I keep hearing from uh, Nancy Pelosi, solemn, prayerful. <laughs> All right,
0: you and I are—we don't have to—we don't have to dig around in that. Let's talk about—let's um, talk about free speech. You and I have both read an article in Public Discourse entitled "Free Speech Cannot Save Us," and the reason um, that uh, that I wanted to lift this up um, is because I think that the the summary of this is helpful, but how he gets to this place where he says, um, unless, and here he's talking about our universities, unless they acknowledge a divine transcendence, our universities, like our culture at large, are sentenced to pointless debate, full of sound and fury, no matter how free our speech is. The marketplace of ideas alone cannot save education. The marketplace of ideas alone cannot save politics. The marketplace of ideas alone. Um, cannot save religious discourse. I mean, I I think you could uh, insert lots of different institutional categories into this conversation. So give me your take.
1: Certainly. Well, the great universities of the United States, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, uh, were founded with explicitly Christian presuppositions. Uh, They were often founded in order to teach clergy. They were founded as seminaries for preachers and things of that sort. So they had Christianity in the warp and woof of everything that they taught. Uh, On the other hand, as time went on, Uh, Eventually that uh, Christian presupposition disappeared. William F. Buckley discussed this in his first book, God and Man at Yale, back in the 1950s, about how they had uh, devolved to simply uh, a a belief that there should be a debate about the overall principles of ethics. Uh, They would teach the subject matter, but then how you applied that subject matter was subject to debate. Uh, There was a, a debate of ideas and ideologies about what you would do with that. Uh, I wish at this point, I long for the days where we would have feudal debate between two different viewpoints. Uh, in point of fact, I think since the 50s, and and uh, uh, the essay by R.J. Snell does a wonderful job explaining the situation, but I, I think that it misses the next step, which is that universities have destroyed the idea that there should be a debate of ideas. Uh, at this point, universities are essentially ideological, catechetical factories for the uh, for a left-wing, woke ideology of intersectionality, uh, the idea of the gospel of envy, uh, they are indoctrination centers rather than a place to debate ideas. Even if we were to debate ideas, if we don't have access to that uh, truly transcendent belief, then, then we will not be able to come to the correct idea. Uh, but uh, the factory, these uh, universities have become uh, people who, uh, organizations that promote what uh, Eric Vogelin is quoted in the essay is calling the higher stupidity, which is ideology. Uh, they they have a certain ideology, and all discussions or dialogues, as they use that term, will begin and end with the presuppositions of that left-wing ideology. Uh, for those of us who are Christians, we begin with a totally different beginning, we begin with a totally different end, and so the means are different. But we need the subject matter uh, in order to sanctify that subject matter, whether that's uh, philosophy, whether it's mathematics or architecture or any other ideology, uh, any other discipline. At the Acton University, we focus on connecting sound, pr- sound economic principles with, with uh, good, uh, with, uh, with good uh, intentions. But nonetheless, that's, that's the idea, is that uh, we need to have something uh, which, which begins and ends with a gospel rather than with an ideology.
0: Which feels like a really good segue into a conversation about a church that's teaching Karl Marx instead of the Bible. So can we talk about that when we come back from a really quick break?
1: It's mind-blowing that this church (laughs) exists, yes. It's mind-blowing.
0: We'll be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Ben Johnson. You can find him at acton.org. All right, returning to my conversation with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute, you can actually check out exactly what we're going to be talking about right now at acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. There's a piece posted there entitled, How Socialism Causes Atheism. Ben, I'm going to let you set the stage for this conversation. Um, and let's have this conversation in, you know, juxtaposed it against this story that we've both read about this church that instead of having Bible studies is now studying Karl Marx.
1: Yeah, when I began writing this story, how socialism causes atheism, I was probing the idea of what is it that causes people to lose their faith. And when you get into the survey data, they've asked people who identify as nuns, who who don't identify with any religion, what it is that led them away. Uh, Pew and Gallup have, have probed this question, and they found that nuns fall into basically three different categories. They are not all atheists. The first Uh, The first group is the group that believes in God but doesn't go to church. Then there are agnostics who don't know if there's a God and atheists who who are are convinced that there is not. That first group, uh, people who still believe in God but don't identify with any religion, are driven away from Christianity by two things. They question certain religious doctrines or they say they, and this is a quote, don't like the positions churches take on social political issues. So... They have an ideology that drives them away from Christianity that is, uh, that is opposed to Christianity. At the same time, uh, the, the uh, ultimately this is a gateway to full-blown atheism. The number of nuns who don't believe in God has increased by half uh, in, in just seven years. So when people begin to drift away from, from Christianity, it's not usually a complete turn. It's usually sort of like drifting away to sea where eventually they lose sight of the horizon, which is God. That's that's the general process. Now, at the same time, we've seen this huge rise in socialism uh, and people often say, well, people lose faith in God and they begin to have faith in socialism because it's a replacement for religion. In some cases, that's the case. But if you look at the actual data and I go through this in the article, it's often the exact opposite. People begin to adopt socialism and that causes them to reject Christianity because these are these are worldviews that are inherently conflicting with one another. Christianity believes in an otherworldly, eternal, heavenly kingdom beyond this life. Socialism states that there will be an earthly utopia, uh, that we will have absolute equality of outcome, which has never existed anywhere at any time uh, in human history, but somehow they will bring it about here on Earth in our time. And, of course, the ends and the means of getting that, uh, the morality that attaches to that, is entirely different between the two. But when you begin to believe in an earthly utopia... You automatically reject the belief that this is a fallen world, that Jesus Christ came in to redeem the world, and that uh, heaven on earth is impossible outside of the intervention of Jesus Christ himself.
0: And and when we arrive at that point, you know, the reality is that we are looking at reality upside down or or backwards or with a total lack of clarity in terms of what is real um and where value is genuinely, you know, derived from. And so I think that when, um, and if we can pivot to the, to the conversation about the church that's teaching Marxist theory instead of teaching um, the Bible, you know, it, it, it's, it's clear to me that there are places and spaces where some things are appropriately taught and other things are appropriately taught. And it seems to me as if the church is the one place where the Bible is rightly taught, And when the Bible is not taught nor rightly taught in that environment, um, the confusion of the people is really deep.
1: And it certainly is a Jubilee Baptist Church of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Of course, Chapel Hill is a university town. Uh, There there are a lot of uh, very left-wing people uh, in this area. And uh, this is the remnants of a genuine Baptist church, Ephesus Baptist Church, which dwindled down to 12 members but had $600,000 in its savings. So uh, a left-wing pastor came in and decided that uh, they would use that uh, to teach Marxism, and they had a a unique outreach in order to get people into the pews, but they teach Marxism from the pulpit as well as in their Bible studies. BuzzFeed News has this article uh, about the church that on its Wednesday night Bible study, instead of studying a book like uh, the book of Galatians, they study Karl Marx's Das Kapital, which is uh, certainly uh, more, more likely to introduce you to the first rung of hell. If you've ever tried to read it, it's almost impossible. But their their class for example uh, this is one of the handouts that they have and this is a quote it says god cares about our race gender sexuality and class now the fact of the matter is god couldn't care any less about your race gender sexuality or class uh, if they had studied the book of galatians that is in fact one of the overarching themes it says there is neither jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female all are one in christ jesus which is a, a theme that the apostle paul takes up in colossians three eleven as well So you have this uh, this idea of intersectionality and teaching socialism as though it were divinely commanded. uh, And this is this is being uh, uh, substituted for the genuine gospel. Uh, I I would say that these people are on a a very I, I would say a slow boat, but actually I think it's an express train away from the gospel. Uh, certainly, people have the ability to interpret the gospel however they wish. The Black Hebrew Israelites are free to say that uh, the Israelites were actually Black people, and therefore, it is uh, their right to kill people who uh, who lay claim to that title who are not Black. It's our duty uh, to say, as Christians, this is heretical. This is not historical, and what they are teaching is not the gospel. It is an alternate gospel that the Apostle Paul warned about. Uh, this is teaching. This is teaching something that is personal philosophy or the wisdom of the world in place of and in contradiction to the gospel. And this is leading people further away from God, not bringing them closer into the kingdom of heaven.
0: I think it's rare that we see such a, a an illumination of what's going on behind um, what are often closed doors and what I think is going to surprise Christians who go to churches where the gospel is rightly preached and the word of God you know, is in its rightful place. Um, I think it's going to surprise them that in churches across the country, um, what is being taught is in fact not the Bible and not the gospel, um, but a diff- a very different gospel. Again, Galatians, right? There's a different gospel being preached. There's a different salvation um, being offered, and it's a salvation that is um, somehow um, socialistically financial. It's as if there is—it's um, as if— the economics have have become the most important part of the conversation and that, that's just very curious to me
1: well there, there's nothing new in the world is there uh, we have the uh, the original idol was a golden calf and mm. and so there there's this thirst for earthly prosperity there's a a thirst for earthly stability and the fact of the matter is jesus says in this world you will have persecution uh, as as uh, Bishop uh, Larry Trotter in Chicago always says, a uh, 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 missionary Baptist bishop, he said, some people are trying to get out of will. You will have persecution in this world. Financial instability is part of that. Our only rock, the only rock on which we can build uh, the ship, both of our church and of our souls, is the uh, pure foundation, the true rock that followed uh, the, the Israelites through the desert, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, and Savior. Anything that tries to substitute an earthly ideology, whether that's economic or political, or in, in the case of this church, often gender-based, they have little buttons that they hand out to people that proclaim their pronouns and so on. Whatever earthly ideology we try to substitute will eventually fall. This is not the first church that preaches socialism in place of uh, true religion. Uh, there have been communes throughout American history that were sort of unusual in, in their dedication to socialism. They all collapsed. This one will too, no matter how much money they have in the bank. Uh, and if it doesn't collapse here on earth, then uh, he should do a study on the book of James because it says that religious teachers will have, uh, be held to a much higher standard when they enter into eternity.
0: Ben Johnson, thank you so much for your clarity. Thank you for um, bringing some clarity today to some very complicated conversations. We look forward, as always, to our time with you. Uh, Merry Christmas. We will uh, we'll talk with you in the new year.
1: Merry Christmas to you, and God bless. Likewise. Thank you.
0: We'll be right back. Okay, I feel like this morning we need some refreshment. So, what do you do when you need refreshment? How do you refresh your body? How do you refresh your spirit? God says that true refreshment, the type that nourishes our souls and sustains us, uh, is only found in Him. The psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to the eyes. That's from Psalm 19. Next up, we're going to have a conversation about food for the journey. At first, I thought maybe this was another Christmas cookbook. Actually, this is a 365-day devotional, Food for the Journey, um, and the contributors to it include Alistair Begg, John Stott, Christopher Wright, many, many others. The editor will be here next. We're going to talk about the kind of uh, nourishment and the kind of refreshment we all need. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: When kids reach the preteen years, they're not the only ones who need to get ready to grow up. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Adolescence is a critical time of growth for kids, of course, but mom and dads can also expect to do a little learning and changing as well. When we get stuck in our ways and keep parenting our kids like we did when they were younger, we're guaranteed to make a mess of things. What worked with our daughters when they were four or five isn't going to work now. Mom, Dad, is your child approaching the preteen years? Well, then get ready now and plan to change your style when necessary. Be willing to grow up right alongside your teen. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart, which is why moms and dads turn to parenting expert Mark Gregston for help. Learn about Mark's upcoming events and check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: Recognize that we do not uh, live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we have a feast today. We have a feast. It's called Food for the Journey. It's a 365-day devotional. The editor is with me now. Her name is Elizabeth McQuoid. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you
2: very much, Carmen.
0: So let's start by um, introducing people um, to the Keswick Convention and then talk about this project, which really grows out of um, that event and that um, effort.
2: Yeah, thank you. The convention has been running in Keswick in the English Lake District for about 140 years, and each summer for three weeks, about 12 to 15,000 people come and gather We've got great events for kids and youth, um, but our real priority is that people would meet God in his word, and we've got Bible teaching from excellent speakers. And it was out of that event that we looked at our archive and realized that we had some amazing messages, real treasure trove of sermons, and we wanted to get that into people's hands. So we've reformatted the sermons and produced this 365-day devotional covering a range of
0: Bible books. So it's not, uh, you know, it's, not, it's not all the books of the Bible. It is a selection, um, and it's not every person who has ever taught at Keswick, but it's a, it is a really exciting sampling. Um, talk with us about what is covered in this devotional and some of the writers, um, speakers. Well, I mean, it's such a range of people. So I'm going to let you introduce some of those uh, to our audience as well.
2: Yeah, we cover um, 12 books of the Bible. So we're looking at Numbers, Hebrews, 1 Thessalonians, Ezekiel, just a whole range of Bible books. And each of those Bible books um, used to be a message or five messages by a particular preacher, and we've reformatted those. And we've got a great selection of preachers um, in the book. So we've got Alistair Begg um, from Ohio. We've got Charles Price from the People's Church in Toronto, um, and some of the great heroes of the faith from the UK, men like John Stott and Alec Motyer. So a huge range of people, um, and the thing that they've got in common is that they love the Lord Jesus, they're great teachers of his word, and they've got a pastoral heart.
0: So we have listeners in Wisconsin who certainly are going to know the name Stuart Briscoe. Um, Stuart's contribution mm-hmm. to, this, uh, to this devotional is, covers the book of James. Um, and yes. I, I found this um, – I mean, you know, it's, it's a 365-day devotional, so we certainly want to invite people to feast on all of it. This is a great time of year to be thinking about what you're going to do devotionally um, next year. Mm-hmm. I already know uh I already know the person to whom I am giving my copy um of of food for the journey um and maybe let's approach it that way who is this best designed for I am going to give it to a person who um thinks that they know a lot about what scripture says but they don't actually study the bible very often or very deeply I am giving this as a taste and see, but more than a taste and see, because it really is a feast. Who do you have in mind in terms of this, this devotional effort?
2: Well, I'm certainly like you're going to be giving it as a Christmas gift to lots of people. Um, but I don't think it needs to be something that you have to read. You know, you're giving it to someone intending that they read it from beginning to end. It's something that you can dip in and dip out of. So we've had people read it if they're studying, say, they're studying Colossians in their small group. Um, they've bought the devotional and just looked at the 30 days on Colossians to go with that. Um, or if their preacher's been going through Revelation or the upper room ministry, then they've been able to dip into the book and read that those sections. So it's a dip in and dip out um, book. So I think it is appropriate for anybody who wants to get into God's word? There is a feast there, um, daily nourishment for, me, for your soul, for anybody that is interested in getting into God's Word.
0: So I'm going to read um, the introduction, Stuart to the section that Stuart Briscoe uh, contributes, contributes to, um, because he really does frame the whole book up as faith works. They're fleeing for their their lives. Stephen's martyrdom in Jerusalem signals a mass exodus as believers flee throughout the Roman Empire. As leader of the Jerusalem church, what words of encouragement will James write to these persecuted Christians? Perhaps a little surprisingly, his key passage or key message is this. Faith works. Genuine belief inevitably transforms our speech, suffering, compassion for the poor, humility, prayers, priorities, and every other aspect of life. In just five chapters, James introduces and briefly touches upon a whole variety of issues that concern these new believers. He um, goes, this introduction piece goes on, but it ultimately, um, you know, it provokes in me the question, like, how does faith work and how did it work? I mean, you know, for, for the man who was the very brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, and who became his disciple and follower, the one who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem— who saw his people scattered, um, and and sent them forth with a word of encouragement. How did faith work then for James? And how did faith work in the first generation? Because maybe I need some help with uh, the way I'm working out my faith today.
2: Mm, Yeah, exactly. Yes. And we all need help, whether it's whether we're going through difficult times, suffering problems in our families, struggles at church, and whether we're facing persecution like you know the first century believers in some shape or form um digging into god's word is going to help whatever scenario we're facing
0: absolutely so when we let's take a quick break and then when we come back um i'm i'm going to invite you to um to read a portion of one of these uh one of these days of devotion from food for the journey i am talking with editor Elizabeth McQuoid about the book, Food for the Journey. It's a 365-day devotional, and we'll be right back. The the her her Continuing my conversation with Elizabeth McCoy, she is the editor of Food for the Journey, It's really a gift to all of us um, from the Keswick Ministries, and I want you to check out what they're doing uh, at keswickministries.org, and for those of us who um, speak in the American uh, kinds of English and not the English forms of English, Keswick is spelled K-E-S-W-I-C-K, so you're going to want to look up what in your American mind looks like Keswick Ministries dot o r g you're going to get all kinds of information there about um about the full range of ministries they're engaged in we are looking at food for the journey and elizabeth is now going to share with us something uh, from the book um from ezekiel
2: yeah this is the introduction to ezekiel It says what has been your most memorable birthday ezekiel will certainly never forget his 30th birthday He has been trained as a priest and brought up to believe that when he turns 30, his life work would begin. He has spent years anticipating this moment, when he would be ordained and eligible to serve in the temple. So you'll forgive Ezekiel if he wakes up feeling discouraged on his birthday. The day he turns 30, he's five years into his captivity in Babylon. To say that life hasn't turned out as he was anticipating is probably an understatement. Instead of the priesthood, God calls him to be a prophet. Instead of living in the holy city of Jerusalem, he's an exile in Babylon. Instead of serving in the temple, he's surrounded by a plethora of foreign gods. And the rest of the study of Ezekiel goes on to talk about him and his crisis of faith and his questions, the questions that we all have of, is God in control? Why doesn't he intervene? Um, You know, what's going on? And For me, the great encouragement was right at this first chapter on Ezekiel's birthday, as he's just wondering what's happened to the life that I was expecting. God amazes him with a vision of him on the throne. And for me, that is a great encouragement that God is still on his throne, whether I'm in Babylon or whether I'm in Jerusalem, wherever I am, and whatever is going on in my life, God is still on the throne. And that is, and he is sovereign. And I'm delighted with
0: that. So one of the things i appreciate about this particular portion of the book is that many of these days begin with a question. And so day 93 begins with, have you ever been speechless? Or day 94, yeah. what does the vision mean? Uh, day 95, is the Bible a divine book? Um, there, These are questions that, you know, we're all asking or we're all being asked. And the Bible actually answers these questions itself. Um, and and the way that they, these conversations grow out of the text of Scripture, um, I think, is refreshing. And so I know that you're offering this because we do need refreshment for our souls. We do need uh, to feast on the Word of God, and we need food every day for the journey. So, um, so thank you for this beautiful work. Thank you for compiling it. It's a yeoman's task to do this kind of editing. So, uh, so Elizabeth, thank you so very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoy reading it. Thank you so much. You guys can connect with Elizabeth and you can find the book uh, at keswickministries.org. The book is available through our friends at IVP, and you can obviously find it on Amazon. Food for the Journey, 365-day devotional. Um, The contributors include Alistair Begg, John Stott, Christopher Wright, uh, and the editor is today's guest, Elizabeth McCoy. We'll be right back.
1: Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know?
0: So, we're going to uh, make a full circle here in this hour, and um, I'm, I'm going to offer some thoughts on how we as Christians today can enter into what I suspect for many people will be the conversation um of the day and that will be related to the the US Congress um House of Representatives vote yesterday um on two articles of impeachment impeaching the president of the United States um so what are you going to say what are you going to say today and how are you going to say it that that is the question um that I think we as Christians each need to all ask ourselves and answer and so I have um, I have four words. The four words are solemnity, truthfulness, expectations, and hope, solemnity, truthfulness, expectations, and hope. The word solemnity um, acknowledges that this is a solemn day, and we we should be prayerfully approaching the conversation about where we are as uh, as a people, as we the people of the United States of America, um, as the people. Uh, to whom God has called into this particular point of time in this particular place. Like, this is our time. Um, this, is the, this is our opportunity to live and thrive and influence um, the course of human history. And, um, you know, this is it. This, this is, in terms of the earthly reality, this is the one life we have to live. And so, you know, these are our days, and they are solemn, and we should treat them with solemnity. I think that when I think of the word solemn, I think of silence. And so I am wondering if um, because today is a solemn day, it's more a day for keeping silence with one another than a day for um, rancorous debate, gloating if you find yourself on one side of this conversation um, or sort of screaming anger if you find yourself on the other I don't want to say something today that I am going to later regret um in the heat of this moment, which will you know frankly soon pass, and so solemnity would be word one, word two is truthfulness um as a Christian, what matters to me is the truth, so as a Christian, what matters to you? What matters to you? Does the truth matter not not whatever uh information or or way of thinking? lines up with um, the way I want things to be, but real reality, reality as it really is. Um, tr- you know, uh, truth is that which aligns with reality, real reality, um, uh, godliness. And so as a Christian, the truth matters, uh, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God to see it. The challenge is that there are few people— um, particularly the, the pundit class, who are interested in what I would describe as biblical objectivity. There are very few people who are seeking to present a genuinely objective approach um, to truth. And truth can be objectively known. Um, and so that would be one of the things that I would encourage you to consider as you're talking with other people What is the lens through which they are looking at things? And if it's not a biblical worldview, if it's not a gospel worldview, if it's not a redemptive worldview, um, they are actually looking at a different reality than the one you are looking at. And that is a more substantive conversation, a a conversation about objective truth. That's a more substantive conversation to be had with our neighbors um, than a conversation maybe today about whether or not what happened yesterday should have happened. um, And uh, so there you go. Um, expectations is word three. Uh, my expectation: there's going to be a Senate trial. Trump is going to have his day in court. He's not going to be removed from office. The GOP is probably going to see a landslide landslide victory. Um, in 2020. Um, you know, so let's uh, let's not be you know, uh, what whichever party you find yourself a part of. Let's not be chicken little today. Um, let's have realistic expectations about the way our process actually does work, and let's not um, be slinging flame, flaming arrows at one another. Um, that really are unnecessary, because the expectation is the president's not going to be removed. And so, um, you know, let's, <clears throat> let's, let's have clear expectations about how our own process works, and let's trust that that is going to work out that way. And my final word is hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the anchor for my soul. That's what keeps me, you know, grounded when you know the, the, the water around is tossing and churning, and people are sometimes bailing out and certainly uh, and crying out, you know, Lord, don't you care? Won't you save us? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What about yours? What about yours? What is your hope? Where are you putting your hope? What's the anchor for your soul? I don't live in fear, and I refuse to participate in tearing down our democracy by tearing down my fellow Americans, um, who, on this point, I might deeply disagree. I deeply disagree with half of the people on this point. And so um, my hope can't be built on uh, on this. My hope has to be in something far more enduring and certainly eternal versus uh, the temporal conversations we're having today, although... You're right, the temporal conversations we're having today do bear on eternity. Let's take one more quick break, um, and then we'll wrap up the hour.
2: Thank you so much for your support of the Faith Radio Network. Thanks to generous donors like you, we are able to work towards our mission of leading people to Christ and nurturing believers in their faith through media that is Christ-centered. That means each show and feature we air points us to Jesus. And our website is filled with wonderful articles and resources that will equip and encourage you in your faith. Find out more online at MyFaithRadio.com.
0: Okay, so my encouragement today is to be treating those around us with uh, gentleness and respect. Uh, be encouraging to one another today, um, and ask ask more questions um, than you might be than you might be feeling like you want to give speeches. So let's ask some questions. How are we going to approach the conversations of the day, uh, not only in content but also in tone, in ways that honor Jesus? Let's be people who not only tell the truth but who tell the truth. Um, with grace, with the other person in mind, with a concern for them um, and what they're experiencing. And be really, I think we have to be mindful today that literally the person to our right, the person to our left, and the person in the mirror is probably a person who is grieving something. And so let's be tender with one another today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.